Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, and I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. You may be seated. Well, it has been a good morning so far, hasn't it? Thank you, choir, for uh, singing for us. That was really, really beautiful. For 25 years, one of my moms was a 911 operator in Red Deer. She retired three years ago, and we celebrated with her uh, the 25 years of service that she gave to the city. During that time, she was the voice of steadiness and calmness as people faced some of the most traumatic events of their lives. During that, those 25 years, she was the voice on the other end of the phone as people breathed their last breaths as they, as they were in the midst of car accidents. She was also the voice on the other end of the line as she would help mothers give birth to babies while the ambulance was on the phone, or ambulance was on the way. If you've ever called 911, you know the importance of having someone who is calm and collected while you are panicked on the other side of the line and watching an emergency unfold around you. It can be an entirely helpless feeling as well as you become entirely dependent on the competency of the person that you've just called to assess your situation and then diagnose the appropriate solution to your problem. Ultimately, when we make calls to 911, if you've ever had to do that, we are deciding in that moment to either take matters into our own hands or to, our, to submit ourselves and our situation into someone who is likely more qualified and competent to handle whatever is happening in front of us. I remember as a young boy, I was about 10 years old, and, and my dad and I were in a situation where we could have used this piece of, helpful piece of information. Uh, it, I, was, it, I was about 10 years old, and, and it was the wintertime, and, and the, the GT Snow Racer had just been released. And I don't know, Rochelle, were you able to find a picture? I kind of, there we go. That's a, that was the GT Snow Racer. And the reputation that the GT Snow Racer had was that it is fast. It had the steering wheel, it had brakes, but you never touched those. And you just, you went as fast as you could. Now, word on the playground was that there was, that there was a hill that had a really, really big jump. It was just a few minutes from my house. And so I was able to convince my dad that this was a good idea. And, and so, so, so dad and I, we, did, we decided, okay, we're going to go on this particular night and we're going to go toboggan. Now, we lived in a fourplex at the time and, and beside us was, um, was a, a single mom and she had a son who was a little bit younger than me. Uh, we'll call him Chris. Uh, that's his name. Uh, and, uh, and so we, we, we invited Chris to come along. Now, Chris was one of these guys that um, there's not really like a, a politically correct way to say a mama's boy. Um, so he's a mama's boy. And, uh, and, and so we invited him along. And, and my, I think my dad, in a lot of ways, kind of felt some level of um, obligation to be kind of this male role model in, his, in, this, this, in Chris's life. Now, part of Chris, though, part of the temperament of Chris was that Chris was kind of a crybaby. 
And he would often cry a lot and, and about the silliest things. And, and he became known in our family as Crybaby Chris. And, and so we invited Crybaby Chris to come along tobogganing. And we weren't a nice family, apparently. Um, but uh, we invited him along. And, uh, uh, and, and we decided that this would be a good opportunity for, for Crybaby Chris to, to have, hang out with a friend, me, I guess, uh, and have a, have a, a dad role model. And so that night we went tobogganing and we were having a great time. And we were, we were enjoying the hill and until we finally, at the, near the end of the night, we had kind of gotten enough courage to finally hit this big jump that all the kids in the playground were talking about. And so picture this, I'm in the front steering and crybaby Chris is behind me on the seat holding on and we're flying down this hill. And we hit this, we hit this jump and as we're airborne, uh, somehow I managed to dislodge from the GT Snow Racer and fall off, and you know, it's having fun, haha, <laughs> it's all good. But Crybaby Chris managed to somehow stay, stay on, the, on the GT Snow Racer. And, and so as I recovered myself and went over to, to get the GT Snow Racer and Crybaby Chris, of course, he's crying. And, and so we, we're standing, so, okay, Chris, time to go. And he's like, I can't, I'm, I can't go, and, and he's crying, and okay, like, what else is new? Crybaby Chris is crying. And, and so my dad, obviously impatient at that point, he makes his way down the hill and says, okay, Chris, time to go. You could, and already feeling a little impatient with the fact that Crybaby Chris is now crying uh, over the course of this evening. And, and, uh, and he, I can't, you, you have to carry me. And he's just wailing and carrying on. And, and, uh, and so finally I could sense the, the impatience and the frustration of my dad. He says, come on, Chris, we're leaving. And crybaby cry Chris, you have to carry me, I can't do it. And he's carrying on, and, and it's just like eye roll moment, right? And, and so finally, Dad is impatient and wants to go, so he picks up crybaby Chris and carries him to the car. I'm pulling the GT Snow Racer back to the car as well. The whole ride home, crybaby Chris is still crying. Like, come on, dude, you're not going to get invited again to go tobogganing if you're going to act like this. So we take him home and, and drop him off, and, and we follow up with his mom the next day and say, you know, it's Chris okay? And turns out that crybaby Chris should have been called broken leg Chris um, because as, we, uh, as, as I flew off the, the toboggan, somehow he managed to get his, his leg underneath the toboggan and when he landed, he landed on top of his tibia and fibia and broke both of the bones. Not exactly my dad's finest moment, but certainly a time that we should have called for help to come help rescue poor crybaby Chris in that moment. Now this morning, I'd like to suggest that as we unpack this, this passage of scripture from Luke chapter 8, that the woman who had, who had been bleeding for the last 12 years practiced more discernment in that moment of need than my dad did in that moment with crybaby Chris. The, moment, the, the woman in this event saw that there was a need in her life that this man was able to fix. You see, she had heard about this story of the, she had heard stories about this man Jesus, who had been traveling throughout Israel, rescuing people just like her, setting people free from demonic possession, healing the lepers, restoring the paralytics, giving sight to the blind. Maybe this Jesus could be the one to rescue her as well. Unlike so many others, though, this woman didn't have the courage to approach Jesus and ask for help and ask for healing. We see evidence of this throughout the Gospels where people just would throw themselves at Jesus and say, heal me, help me, Jesus. 
But this woman had, was unable to do that. You see, years of shame and abuse and name-calling had removed that possibility for her. Instead, in the crush of the crowd, this woman didn't have the courage to approach Jesus and ask for healing. Instead, she reaches through the crowd and simply just touches a bit of, of Jesus' clothing. And we read that instantly she's healed. See, for 12 years, this woman whose monthly cycle hadn't stopped was forced to live as an outcast. Leviticus 15, 25 to 28 says, When a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time, other than her monthly period, or is a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has that discharge. Just in the days of her period. Any bed she lies on while her discharge continues will be unclean, as is her bed during her monthly period, and anything she sits on will be unclean, as during her period. Anyone who touches them will be unclean. They must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be unclean until evening. When she is cleansed from her discharge, she must count off seven days, and after that she will be ceremonially clean. Not your typical Christmas scripture, is it? Yet as we consider the implications of this scripture for this woman, it becomes, I think this passage becomes incredibly significant and exactly the reason why we celebrate Christ's birth every year. Jesus came to seek and save all people. Because here's the reality for this woman. Because of the law, this woman would have been excluded from society in several different ways. Because of her bleeding, she wasn't allowed to participate in worship. She was not allowed to attend uh, sacrifices. You know, there's people within our congregation who are so ill that they want to be here, but they're physically unable to. But for this woman, she wanted to attend. She wanted to be here, but she wasn't allowed to. She was alienated from the worshiping Jews in her community. See, one of the reasons for her not to be able to, one of the reasons why she was excluded was because if she touched anyone, they wouldn't be allowed to worship either. And it wasn't just limited to worship settings, though, either. It was when she went out in public. She couldn't touch anyone, and nobody could touch her. Can you imagine the loneliness that she must have felt? Such emotional and social isolation? For someone like this woman who hadn't been touched intentionally for 12 years. Not only that, but people actually gave a wide berth. They actually avoided her because they knew. And that any physical contact that she would have received would have either been a significant gift of life to her, but likely, more than anything else, it was either accidental or that it came at a cost for whoever did touch her. And so because of her bleeding... She would have had this relational disconnect with those around her. But she would also have been spiritually disconnected as well. Can you imagine the, the longing that you might have to be a part of a worship context, but you weren't allowed to go for 12 years? Her illness had prevented her from engaging with a significant aspect of her life and the culture at that time. So as Jesus returns to Galilee in Luke chapter 8, we read in chapter 8 that he had just been there days before. And so maybe word would have spread that, of the miracles that he had performed while he was there. 
Maybe she was already there and she just didn't have the courage that she needed to, to approach Jesus in that moment and she just thought, this might be my last chance. Maybe this is it. For her, she had, she had met with all kinds of doctors. She, meet with, she had met with physicians, dietitians, pediatricians, statisticians, any other physicians you can think of, even gas technicians. But none of them worked. There was a situation or a crisis that required outside help. She had tried all the different options, and each option failed her. So this lady presumably figures, what have I got to lose? What have I got to lose? And so in spite of the cultural expectations of the day, she says, you know what, if no one else can help, maybe this Jesus can. And so the crowd around Jesus, she fights her way through the crowd. And as she does that, she touches various people along the way, and as she touches them, she makes them unclean. But for this particular woman, she's given up any dignity in this moment. She's concluded that, that Jesus might be the only one who can rescue her. And so the cultural shame she would have to carry for her actions, if this didn't work out, they would have been significant. There would have been immediate repercussions. But this woman says, you know what, it's worth it. It's worth the risk. It's worth the freedom of being rescued from this burden that she's been under for 12 years. And so she presses in. And just like someone who's calling 911, she reaches out to the crowd and just touches a piece of his clothing, presumably making this holy man of God unclean too. But what we discover is that this isn't just a man of God. This man is God. This woman understood that, that when the pain of staying the same outweighs the pain of change, we aren't willing to move. Let me say that again. This woman understood that when the pain of staying the same outweighs the pain of change, we aren't willing to move. It's not until we get to the point where the pain and discomfort of staying the same outweighs the pain of change, we won't, get, we won't make an effort to move. This woman had gotten to that point. She couldn't stay the same. Something had to change for her. The pain and discomfort of staying in this, in this situation had gotten too much. So she recognized that it was worth the, worth the pain and discomfort that it would, it would be to, to step into, into, a new, into a new healing. And what we discover is that as she steps into that change, she discovers that it is worth it that she is changed. But her call for help comes in the form of great risk. And that she's instantly healed. Immediately, though, Jesus turns around. And he knows that someone has intentionally touched him. When I was younger, I used to go to different rock concerts. And, and part of Part of the, the culture of rock concerts often would have a mosh pit in the front of the stage. Mosh pit, if you don't know, is basically where people who have paid for their seats decide that they don't want to sit, sit in those seats, and they come to the front of the stage instead and just clump together into this big ball of humanity. And, and, they, and there's pressure from all sides, from different people. And they jump around. There's body surfing. It is not great. Like, it's not fun. Um, but people do it. I did it. And so I think that's the kind of this idea where there's this mob of humanity pressing in on Jesus. Now, one of the things about a mosh pit is you can't tell, you know you're being touched everywhere, but you don't know by whom. 
And so you're stuck here in this space, and you're not sure what's going on. Yet somehow, Jesus, in the midst of this, being pressed in from all sides, knows that someone has reached through the crowd and touched his clothing. Culturally, she's made all these people unclean. But as Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? She stays quiet. Hoping that, that Jesus will just say, okay, I'm going to carry on and just carry on on his walk. The years of shame and humiliation have, have broken this woman. She isn't about to face further ridicule from the people and this, this celebrity religious leader who happened to be in Galilee at the time. So she stays quiet. But Jesus persists, who touched me? And finally, this woman falls at his feet and confesses before Jesus. Now, expecting to be scolded like she would have been for the last 12 years, Jesus responds with this, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And in an instant, with one word, Jesus models to us what a rescuer looks like. He says, daughter. Now that word in our culture often means, it's often a title, a descriptive word for somebody. But in that culture, it was a term of endearment, a word of love. Something that she likely hadn't heard or heard that often in the the last 12 years. And it's in this moment that we begin to see how this woman took responsibility for her own faith. Where she rejected the lies that hurt her, She rejected the shame that had been heaped upon her. Instead, it's in this moment that she turned her attention towards the power and wisdom of Jesus and asked him to rescue her instead of relying on the power and wisdom of man that had failed her for so long. And within that short moment, Jesus has rescued this woman physically, but more significantly, he's rescued her very identity and changed her life forever. And maybe for some of us, we can relate to what's happening in the story with this woman, where maybe we need a rescue like this, where we've been at a place where we've told ourselves the same lies over and over again, or we've been told, where others have told us the same lies over and over again, or we've just continued to believe those things. Maybe we tell ourselves these lies. Maybe it's about our appearance, our value, our worth. Where does that lie? Maybe for others, You are experiencing something physical in your life and you need Jesus to rescue you the way he rescued this woman. So I want to take a couple minutes just to unpack what this woman did to acknowledge Jesus as her rescuer and take responsibility for her own faith. One, she reached out because he is convenient. Two, she submitted because he is constant. And three, she was transformed because he is capable. So he is convenient, he is constant, he is capable. Let me unpack that. The thing with rescuers is that we know that unfortunately they aren't accessible to us whenever and wherever we are. There was no one available on the side of the hill waiting for crybaby Chris to break his leg. That's one of the reasons why we need to assess our situation and then call 911 when we need help. But there is something about this moment that we begin to see how Jesus was intentional about where he went that he was actually the one seeking out people needing to be rescued. 
And what we see here is this fulfillment of Jesus' mission to seek and save the lost. To search for people who need to be rescued. We live in a world of convenience. We have information at our fingertips. I can order food right now and have it available for me after the service. Time and convenience are important values for our culture. Yet it's in this scripture that we are affirmed of the convenience of Jesus. That it doesn't require certain words, certain rites of passage, but instead there's a convenience of faith that we can turn to Jesus, acknowledging him as our rescuer whenever and wherever we are. So maybe for some of us this morning, the application to this concept is to ask ourselves each morning, God, how can I say yes to you today? As we're on our way to school, on our way to work, just as we wake up, God, how can I say yes to you today? Where we can acknowledge that the presence of God is actually closer and more engaged in our lives than even we are about our lives. Prompting us, and all that we need to do, and all we need to do is be aware of it. Engage in the possibility that Jesus is conveniently participating in our lives more than we ever realized. I think what this passage shows us is that regardless of what happens in our lives, regardless of our circumstances, our situations, or choices that we have made, Jesus remains conveniently located for you so that when you decide to reach out to him the way that the woman did, that he's able to rescue you in that same way. So maybe for some of us this morning, we can look at our situations and we can see how, how it's maybe been self-induced. Maybe, maybe we've put ourselves in a situation where we need to be rescued. Maybe for others, though, it's circumstantial, where, where we're just the victims of situations, people, other people's choices and decisions. But this morning, I think we need to know that the convenience of Jesus means that he is available to rescue us whenever and wherever we are. The, the convenience of Jesus is that there is no barriers to his love for us. But there is a barrier to his forgiveness. See, there's a barrier of sin that prevents us from being forgiven. That it's his, it's his love that allows him to be right there available to us, but it's the sin that, that's in our lives that prevents us from reaching out to grabbing him and touching him, to being with him. The only way that we can overcome this sin is by doing what the woman did so that she could have that relationship that God calls us into. She submitted herself to her situation and she submitted herself to Jesus. Now as we consider the possibility of asking how we can say yes to Jesus at the beginning of the day, a way that we can evaluate our ability to submit to him each day is to evaluate at the end of the day. God, where did I say yes to you? God, where did I say yes to you today? Because if you're like me, one of the easy things to do is to see where I've, where I've, said, no to, where I've said no to God today. But I think that there's, there's a helpful discipline to say, where did I say yes to you? It's actually a spiritual practice called the daily examine, where that's what, exactly what it is. It was developed in the 15th century, where this, this theologian who, who thought of this idea, he would reflect on the day and try to identify those times where God's presence was, was evident. Where did I see you today, Jesus? And as he did that, he began to discern where God might be leading him. 
You see, it's in the daily examine where I'm convinced that if we focus on the times that we've said yes to Jesus, where we submitted ourselves to him and, our, and, and identify where he was in the day, that it will become easier for us to, to, see, to, to experience him in the moments that they happen each day rather than reflect on when I, the opportunities that I've missed. And it was in this submission that we see this woman, how she began to take responsibility for her faith. And we see the consistency of Jesus, that it's affirmed, because he doesn't pick and choose who he will rescue. Instead, he rescues anyone who will put their faith in him. He doesn't say, you know what, you're too sick. You know what, you're too sinful. He says, anyone, I've come to rescue everyone. Anyone who submits themselves to Jesus and is willing to let Jesus rescue them. He is faithful because Jesus is the only constant in the universe. Everything else is changing and adapting. Jesus is the only constant. Think about that. How reassuring is it to know that the one person that we all need to rescue us is at some point in our lives is steady, unchanging, constant in our lives. There's so much going on around us, but there's one thing that remains the same, Jesus. The story, when I first read the story 20 years ago, 25 years ago, when I first became a Christian, I was always bothered by this one action, this one thought that I continued to have that seems so scandalous within this story where we recognize and see how this woman, although she took responsibility for her faith, it almost seems like she's been sneaky about taking Jesus' power. Where, as I said earlier, she, others asked for it. Others threw themselves at Jesus and asked for help. They initiated, the, the, initiated the, the rescue with Jesus. But this woman almost seems like she's stolen Christ's power from him. And it seems like he hasn't willfully given it to her, but instead it seems like she's just taken it. He's, been, he's busy doing everything else, and she, he's distracted, but he reaches over and, or she reaches over and, and takes it. And as Jesus stops and turns around and sees this woman, I have to believe that he understands this, this woman's situation, where she's been so marginalized and faced with so much rejection in her life over the last 12 years, that she had to take necessary measures just to avoid that one more rejection. And I think it's here in this, in this response to the sneakiness of this lady that we begin to get an idea of the consistency of Christ's love. Where even when his grace seems to be involuntarily given to this woman, we discover that grace is everything that Jesus is about. That his grace is so concentrated and powerful that even his clothes are, are permeated with his power and grace. Think of the Old Testament, Elijah's coat in 1 Kings. That it's, it's Christ's consistency that has nothing to do with us, but it has everything to do with him and who he is as the Son of God and the rescuer of humanity. This woman is transformed because Jesus is capable. That although this woman was a victim of cultural expectations, Jesus, Jesus is less concerned about the, cultural and, or the external expectations and circumstances and more concerned about, being, about rescuing people from being lost. 
Grace is everything Jesus is about. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up as I finish this last point. Jesus, though, reveals to us that in any given moment, in any given situation, Jesus isn't just prepared to change, heal, and transform us, but that he has the power to do it as well, that he can back up his words with his actions because he is capable, that with Jesus, our lives are so much richer and fuller than life without him, and that his capacity to change lives can occur with anyone. It was this woman's faith that recognized that Jesus wasn't limited in what he could rescue her from. And there was this acknowledgement that this man who claimed to be God was in fact the savior of the world and that the claims that he was making were in fact true. He is our rescuer. For the woman, she had an encounter with the face-to-face living God. For us this morning, the way that we have that same experience, the way that we can discover, discover that, that same living God that she experiences by opening up our Bible and ask God, speak to me today. And maybe for some of us, a starting place is just by opening our Bible for five minutes. Maybe it's putting it on your app on your phone. And ask the question, what do you want to show me about yourself and about me today? What do you want to reveal to, to me about you? And as we study God's word, it begins to deepen our relationship with him and our faith in him is strengthened. For this woman, it was her faith that allowed her to see that Jesus had the ability to heal her in spite of what medical science, common logic, and religious professionals had already decided. Jesus is our rescuer. So here's the takeaway this morning. We, you, I, are all responsible for our relationship with Jesus. And this woman is a good reminder for us this morning that even in those moments where we feel like all the faith that we can muster in Jesus isn't enough, sometimes we just need to reach out and just grab a little piece. Just grab a hold of Jesus, even when it's scary, and just take a risk of faith, knowing that it's the convenience of Jesus that he's right there. God is big enough to do something with that little piece, that little piece of faith that you might have. Even when we think that Jesus is distracted by all the other people, he is aware of when we call out to him, when we need him. God's love is constant regardless of our need. Just like the bleeding woman, Jesus came to save us. Just like the bleeding woman, we are all responsible for our faith. So I left us with three basic daily, daily practices, things that we can do on a regular basis. One, read the Bible for five minutes so that we can encounter Jesus and deepen our faith in him. Two, ask God, where can I say yes to you today so that we can experience and be aware of our, be intentional with the day ahead of us. And then lastly, God, where did I say yes to you so we can evaluate how we submitted our faith to Jesus. So we encounter Jesus we experience Jesus, and we evaluate how we submitted to him. Let's pray. Lord, as we come before you and recognize our need for you, Lord, we know that there is a truth in, in this passage that, that uh, although it seems very specific to a very specific situation, a very specific woman, there are some, there are some truths in it that, that I think are, are, 
that you call us to, to remember. You call us not to forget. Lord, I pray that as we reflect on what this, how this woman responded, how this woman dealt with her, her need, and how you, help us to see how you responded to it, Jesus. That you are available to us because you are our rescuer. Amen.